Hello, and welcome to the Community Mennonite Church Podcast. This week's sermon is by Pastor Jennifer Davis Sensenig. Join me in prayer. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My perception in college was that we were just friends, but I was wrong. He brought me flowers and kissed me. I don't know why, but I kissed him back to be polite. I don't know, because I was curious. Then I had to explain that I wasn't really interested. (laughs) My perception in fourth grade was that my teacher who gave lavish rewards and harsh punishments to his students was not trustworthy. And I was right. He was later dismissed for threatening a teacher. Perception. As we mature spiritually, we grow in our perception of ourselves, our perception of God, and our perception of what is going on around us in people, in events, in nature. When we describe someone as perceptive, we're not just saying that they have the ability to see or here, we're referring to insight and depth that is proven over time. Perceptive people notice what we might otherwise miss, deep connections that help us gain a sense of coherence and meaning. Perceptive people have learned to minimize distractions that clutter and confuse. Perceptive people pay attention with their whole bodies, listening, we might say, with the ear of the heart. The Gospel of John is written by someone who is extraordinarily perceptive about who Jesus is. And many of the characters in the Gospel understand Jesus and what he means for the world. Early in the Gospel, we meet Jesus' mother at a wedding in Cana. She perceives that the timing is right for Jesus to reveal himself through a celebratory miracle of abundant wine, the first of Jesus' signs. And then there's a woman at a well who perceives that Jesus is a prophet, not for Jews alone, but also for Samaritans. Someone who will ask something of her and also offer life-giving water. Martha of Bethany, the sister, one of the sisters of Lazarus, shortly after her brother dies, perceives that her friend, Jesus, is the Messiah, the Son of God, coming into the world. Before we get to Mary, who anoints Jesus with perfume, let's also look back, because perceptive persons review the past. 
Israel had a tradition about how they had heard God's voice in the past, how they had seen God's hand in their history, and experienced God's saving power. It was the Exodus experience. Then much later, through the prophet Isaiah, what we heard this morning, God says something like, once I rescued Israel through a great exodus out of Egypt, through the waters of the Red Sea. I crushed your enemies. Now forget about that former event. I'm doing something new, something now. It's right before you. Do you not perceive it? Well, Mary of Bethany was a close friend of Jesus. She had experienced Jesus' power over death when her brother Lazarus had been raised. In the story we heard this morning, Mary's household is preparing for the Passover, which is the celebration of Israel's exodus from Egypt. Jesus and his traveling companions come to Mary's house for a meal, and during this meal, Mary perceives something new. She doesn't put it into words, but she acts decisively. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. Like Jesus, who does many signs in the Gospel of John, Mary, too, enacts a sign of generous, self-giving love. And like Jesus, who is misunderstood by many in the Gospel of John, Mary, too, is misunderstood. Just briefly on Judas, he asks a great question, right? <laughs> when shall we spill perfume and when feed the poor? He's faking it, of course. He isn't really struggling with this ethical dilemma, right? He's dealing with his own insecurity by stealing money. And incidentally, I'm really, I'm kind of into money and what happens with money in scripture and in our lives of faith. Um, at four denarii to the silver shekel, the 30 pieces of silver, the price for which Judas is going to betray Jesus, was really cheap compared to Mary's perfume worth 300 denarii. It's kind of a roundabout, saying, roundabout way of saying that real love is more costly than cheap betrayal or violence. Plus, you've got your integrity intact. So keep your lives honest this week with money and the rest of things. As a congregation, we choose different themes each year for Lent. But really, Lent is pretty standard. All the scriptures we read in Lent that we hear, that we reflect on and sing, all of them guide our perception toward the costly, precious truth about Jesus in both his crucifixion and his resurrection. The church actually weaves together the spiritual season of Lent in such a way that we might perceive what God has done through Jesus Christ for us and for the world. Lent prepares us to understand Jesus' death on Good Friday, resurrection, Easter Sunday, and Jesus today. What is your perception of Jesus right now? And how will you express that in the world? This is the spiritual work of Lent. 
Now Mary expressed herself like a prodigal with reckless love that Lydia proclaimed last week. Mary does something completely familiar, washing feet. This is just hospitality in those days. Jesus and his crew had been walking. They were dirty. Mary does something completely familiar in a surprising way, substituting perfume for water, substituting her hair for a towel. And Jesus perceives that this foot washing is not only prep for this meal, but preparation for his own death and burial, and somehow the new thing God is doing. Now I want to be clear, the death of Jesus on the cross was no more and no less cruel than all the other crucifixions, thousands of them in the first century. Yet Christian perception of Jesus' death on the cross focuses not so much on the banal brutality of Rome, but on the surprising yieldedness of Jesus, who poured out his lifeblood as an expression of reconciling love. He substituted his life and love for the cruel and abusive punishment that appears to make nations strong. There's a parable or a parallel here between Mary's perfume and Jesus' blood. And if you think about it, even Mary's action exposes Judas for what he was, kind of manipulative, kind of insecure. And Jesus' death exposes for his community and for all of us who we are, prone to power over others, prone to violence and sin. John chapter 12 includes this phrase, I love it, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. It's a nice uh, olfactory detail that really makes the story vivid, right? It kind of covers up, if you're into the literature of the New Testament, it covers up the stink of the previous chapter. Remember when Jesus tells the folks near Lazarus' tomb, roll away the stone. Martha says, Lord, there's already a stench. He's been dead for four days. And so then John, this terrific writer, has this perfume in the next chapter. But it's not just for literary effect, though I love that part of it. Imagine that lingering scent after washing the grime of the Roman roads from Jesus' feet, the house, their clothing, their hair, the plates and utensils, everything is perfumed. With every inhalation, their perception is heightened during this meal, filled with fragrance so that they cannot forget this moment. As, Martha, as Mary's guests later make their way to Jerusalem. Perhaps the scent lingers still. Perhaps they will perceive Jesus' death as not simply an unjust tragedy, but also a new thing, a new dimension of God's covenant love. The sign of generous, self-giving love that Mary shows Jesus 
is multiplied in the next chapter of John's Gospel as Jesus washes other disciples' feet. And this sign is amplified further when Jesus lays down his life on the cross, spilling blood and water as a new demonstration of covenant love, Jesus' love for God, for his friends, and even for people he did not know. Even today, God is doing a new thing through Jesus. Do you not perceive it? As CMC, we are a peace church where everyone is welcome. We inspire each other to live generously in the name of Jesus. This generosity involves our money, our service, our work in the world, our family relationships, and our community building among ourselves and beyond ourselves. This weekend at the visitation and memorial for our sister Wilma Miller, I saw that flow of generous love from our congregation. We weren't washing feet, of course, but behind the scenes, CMCers prepared food, baked dozens of loaves of bread for a meal, hosted guests, cleaned the building, folded bulletins, messed with microphones. I think Delbert's figured it all out by now. Set up tables and chairs and put them all away again. Wilma appreciated ordinary Christian community and hospitality, and so do we. We should remember that it's always evidence of an extraordinary love made most vivid in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Clearly, we express generosity among those in our church family. We also respond generously to people we don't know. Last month, the pastor of Raleigh Mennonite Church in North Carolina, uh, some of you know her, Melissa Floor Bixler, she contacted us because, like some of you, she had made a solidarity trip to the U.S.-Mexico border. And there she met a Mennonite congregation who's responding to persons who are being held in a private detention center north of Tucson, Arizona. The pastor there is Tina Schleba. Some of you may know her as well. Her church helps bond people out of detention so that they can pursue asylum proceedings and they needed help with an unusually large bond for Imelda Cano Perez, who was a university professor and a pastor in Nicaragua. Imelda was jailed and tortured by the Nicaraguan government. She fled her country to the US and passed her credible fear interview um, so that she could begin asylum proceedings, then she was detained until someone would pay the bond, $12,500. Absurdly high bonds like this for persons not charged with any crime mean that many people just give up hope for a more secure life and are essentially forced to sign a removal order and are returned to their home countries. So Pastor Melissa just asked 12 U.S. Mennonite congregations to see whether we could raise the funds for Imelda's bond. 
the deadline was short and we were raising money for some other things that are also important. So I just sent the request to the Outreach Commission and I sent some money myself to kind of keep the momentum going among the Mennonites in the US in a generous outpouring of love and solidarity and in defiance of governments who abuse people. CMC committed $1,000. Thank you for your generosity. Pastor Melissa originally wrote in her request, they believe that the people in detention aren't worth the bail, that no one is coming for them. I would like to call that bluff. We don't know Imelda, but she is God's beloved and we should get her out if we can. What's up, Dennis? <laughs> well, uh, Monday, uh, the bond was given to the uh, authorities, and Monday evening, she was set free. Since I've already interrupted your sermon, maybe I could tell you yeah, what Amelda said uh, as a thank you to the 12 congregations. Buenas noches. Actually, I'm gonna read it in English. <laughs> Good evening. First of all, I give infinite thanks to God for having done the miracle I waited for for so long. And as I also give thanks to those who made possible what God did for me today. You are marvelous persons. You are those whose hearts God touched to pay my bond. Only the hands of God could have done this through your generous and compassionate hearts. There are not words adequate to thank you. What God has planted through you has been something marvelous. Only through the hands of God could I have gotten my freedom. For all you beautiful people who God put in my pathway, thanks be to God in the highest and to all of you for collaborating so that this was made possible. I send a big hug from, my de from the depths of my heart. My destination is Indianapolis, asking God that I might work for my heavenly father. I hope in God to find someone from the Mennonite church to be able to participate in all that they are doing. I am at the service of however they may need me, Imelda. Friends, once God bonded Israel out of their detention in Egypt, do you not perceive it? God is doing a new thing in Jesus. By his death, our bond is paid. We are not captive to sin, death, disease, violence, or abusive power. We are free to live generously in the name of Jesus. How will your life be a sign of this good news? Thank you for listening to the Community Mennonite Church podcast. 
Our theme music is a setting of John Wesley's text, Jesus, I Believe You're Near, composed by Matt Carlson. Jeremy Nafziger arranged it for strings. To learn more about our congregation or to plan a visit, please check out our website at cmcva.org.